Hey y'all, it's A Few Minutes with the Pew Podcast. I'm Lily. And I'm Maddie. And we have a passion to see people make Jesus number one in their everyday lives. We want to get serious about being serious for Jesus. Will you join us? Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. We are so excited to have you here with us this week. We are finally in the studio. Last week, it was technical difficulties, and today, you will never believe the type of- None of you are going to guess it, (laughs) ever, what we were doing. Uh, The type of difficulties that we've had to get to the point of being able to record this episode, it Mm -hmm. has been a struggle and a half, and we have had, does that even make sense? I don't know. Not really. You get my point. It's been a struggle. Okay. Beyond a struggle. And we have had reptile issues today that have kept us from recording. And it's been an interesting day. The boys took off for a ministry trip. Mom was working. So it's just Maddie and I here at the house. And we are working away on school. Our plan was to record early this afternoon. It is now 4.20 before Bible study, which Mm -hmm. starts at 6.30. And we are just, we've had a crazy day. So Earlier today, around lunchtime, I went on a walk because it was absolutely beautiful outside. Maddie was on a school Zoom call, and I'm going on a walk, and all of a sudden, I see this thing moving in front of me, and I almost stepped on it. I kind of freaked out for a minute because I'm like, what is walking across the road? Like our little Mm -hmm. country road, it's weird. That's not a rabbit because that's like almost the only type of animal we have out of here. Exactly. Like wild things, coyotes and stuff. (laughs) So I look down and I see that it's this little tiny baby turtle so adorable, but also it's trying to cross the road. And so I'm freaking out because I'm like, what am I going to do with this thing? Like he's going to keep trying to cross the road and he's going to get hit and I'm going to feel so bad. And it's just a little tiny baby turtle. took on this turtle's life upon her shoulders. (laughs) He was her responsibility now. And so I'm like trying to figure out what to do. I grabbed this corn husk that was in the ditch and I'm thinking like, okay, I'll just grab him by the shell, you know, move him real quick. Mm -hmm. And well, actually that was my first plan. I didn't, I hadn't grabbed the corn husk at that point. And I grab his shell and I pick him up a little bit and I realized that his shell is like squishy still. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of freaked me out because I did not expect that at all. And I'm like trying not to hurt him. And I thought I could just grab him and put him in the ditch real quick. No Mm -hmm. problem. And so I freaked out a little bit, had to put him back down because I'm like, oh, I don't want to hurt him. What if I like squeeze too hard or something? So I grabbed the corn husk, put him in there, transferred him to the ditch. Except I would like to point out this poor little turtle is trying to cross the road. Yes. But and what does Lily do? She takes him back to the ditch he was just in. <laughs> she doesn't even bother to take him to the other side of the road. Listen, like, why did the turtle cross the road? Oh, he didn't because Lily came, <laughs> put him in a corn husk, and took him back to where he came I was from. just trying to help the poor little chap. And he needed my help. And so, yeah, it's been a long while since mm-hmm. we have seen any kind of, like, reptile close to our house or let alone turtles. We've seen them before, but very rarely. It's been 
many years since yeah. we've seen them. And so, yeah, I put him back in the ditch and he's all good, guys, I think. I did check on him a few times and he was snuggled down in the grass by the corn. So hopefully, I'm not sure why he is here, what his <laughs> In the deal middle is, of rural Ohio. But <laughs> I hope he makes it. Yeah. And then moving on to my reptilian story. Mm-hmm. So, like Lily said, I was on a school Zoom call this morning, and I'm out in the ministry center. She calls me all the way out to the road to see this turtle, and then I come back, and I've got, like, all my books and notebooks and different things out here. Then I was trying to get, like, some different social media, like, pictures and videos that we could use for reels and stuff, and I see this ginormously large cricket in (laughs) an Before any of you think that I'm calling a a cricket a reptile, I'm absolutely not. The story is not centered around the cricket. But I see this giant cricket in here and, you know, it's like unlucky to kill a cricket or anything. So I get a cup and a napkin and I'm like scooting it into the cup. I take it outside to, you know, let it go on its merry way. And I look up and we've got this big concrete pad in front of our garage. I see this thing that is like slithering on our concrete pad in front of our garage mind you we have never had a snake at our house before ever ever in my entire life so i see this thing it's probably a little over a foot long it was probably like a foot and a half long i think Mm -hmm. it's not really moving like crazy but it did catch my eye and then i'm thinking oh my goodness i just walked right past this thing probably (laughs) to go see this turtle And I call Lily, have her come out, and I'm like, there's a snake in front of the garage. I text dad, but he never texts us back if he's on a ministry thing. So he probably just would have sent you a thumbs up emoji even. (laughs) I was like, there's a snake in front of the garage. Should I kill it? No response. He didn't even bother to read it. But, you know, I'm a strong, independent woman Mm -hmm. and (laughs) a boss babe over here. And I grab a shovel out of the barn. Mind you... I am looking all put together on my top half. I've got a nice sweater on, got my makeup done, my hair done for this Zoom call. My bottom half, I'm in flip-flops and jammy pants. For some reason, we always have animal problems when I'm in my jammies. So I grab this shovel. Lily's out there. The snake's not really moving anywhere or anything, but I'm thinking we do not want this thing getting in our garage or our house or anything like Mm -hmm. that. The thought of that makes me want to throw (sighs) So I grabbed the shovel and it's, I will admit, a process to actually get this thing killed because I was not a chicken because I actually did kill it, but it took me a minute. (laughs) So I smash it with the shovel. I think I do. I didn't want to cut it in half or anything because I know that they can like still live for a little while, even if you cut them in half. So that was not to mention Maddie would have fainted right there on the crime scene. Probably. I don't know. Anyhow, yeah, here is the girl who can listen to all kinds of true crime podcasts or read all kinds of books about true crime and people getting murdered. But then when it comes to a snake, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. (laughs) So I smack the stupid snake three times with the shovel because I smack it the first time. It's not dead. It starts moving. Smack it a second time. Still not dead, but I can tell it's close. So I hit it a third time. Then there's some blood on the concrete and all that, and we think it's dead. Fast forward 10 minutes, 
we have literally just been standing there like staring at this thing. I hate snakes. I mean, it's probably not like my worst fear ever, but I really don't like snakes. They're so gross. They're disgusting and just weird. They defy logic and physics. How do they, how do they move? It's just mm-hmm. gross. And the way that they, ooh, okay. ooh, yeah, ooh. yeah, everybody gets it. Anyhow, so then Lily pokes it with the shovel just to like make sure it's dead. And mind you, its neck is craned in a weird way. And Bloody. there's blood under its head and that kind of thing. Not like tons of blood, but there is some. And <laughs> she pokes it and it starts slithering. Again. Like its back half starts the slithering. The bottom half starts slithering. So it's obviously, I don't know, like the top half was paralyzed or something. I don't know. Because its head never moved again, but its whole, like half of its tail started slithering. Yeah. And Literally Maddie just the and I bottom started half screaming. Of it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Jesus, there's no why could you not have just like let it die the first time? <sighs> why? I hit it three times. And it's not dead. And mind you, I couldn't even find a normal shovel. I found this like very narrow shovel that I had to hit it with. I wanted a regular one to make sure that I hit it like right on the head. Because obviously, you know, we have dominion over animals and you don't want to see them suffer. Mm -hmm. The Lord doesn't want us to let them suffer or anything. So I wanted to just kill it, get it out of its misery, you know, and snakes don't serve to live anyway. (laughs) Because they are literally Satan's animal. And... It starts slithering again. So then we renew, we restart the Mm -hmm. entire process of having to work myself up to be able to kill it. And then I hit it again once and the bottom half of it like flies up kind of like it's still alive. You know, it's like this, I don't know, attack maneuver or something. Just trying to kill me. (laughs) And so I have to hit it twice. Mm-hmm. I hit it two more times and then it finally died. I finally, I kind of like cut it in half a little bit. Yeah. And fun fact, its intestines were like blue. It's kind disgusting. Of. So anyway, now we're sitting down to record a podcast episode. It's still sitting in our driveway because we're waiting for the boys to come home <laughs> to pick it up and get rid of it. Because, you know. Because like, that's too far. I can kill it, but yeah. I can't move it. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness, guys. It was a struggle getting to this point, but here we are. So Mm -hmm. we had to share that with you, obviously, because it's such an accurate, if you're just like wondering if you're new here, this is such an accurate depiction of Maddie and I's personalities. Yeah. Like I saved something and took care of the baby Mm -hmm. and Maddie killed a snake. (laughs) Twice. Twice. Technically. And so this is just a great a great day. I right. hope this is no one's first podcast episode. Oh, that would be bad. Honestly. Probably, you know. They're probably. Maybe, like, this I is, promise we're normal. This has never happened before. No. We can certainly testify to that. But, anyways, today was just an extra special day. So, moving on, this topic that we're about to get into has absolutely nothing Completely to do. Completely unrelated. No, actually, that counts as nature study okay. for today. That's true. That's Usually, true. homeschoolers do bird watching. Today, we killed some things. And saved a turtle. (laughs) Saved the turtles. Look at us. We're saving the environment. Uh But anyways, we are talking about education. And you guys know that we are super, super passionate about this topic. This is one that Maddie and I absolutely love to get into. If you've listened to our rapid fire questions episodes, we usually at some point during one of Mm -hmm. the questions get into the topic of education. Some way, somehow, we're definitely passionate about talking about the topic and we want to just kind of discuss, I guess, 
what true education is, again, uh, I know we've mentioned it a little bit in one of our rapid fire questions episodes, but I just want to get into this a little bit more because one of the specific things that we're seeing in the public school system today is the fact that so many kids are being told that they have disorders, disabilities, all of these different things, right? Mm -hmm. ADHD is at an all-time high, and there are a bunch of different reasons for these disorders and the reason that we're all of a sudden seeing a huge spike in these numbers in children. But one of the things that I really want to get into today is how maybe, let's just contemplate this thought together a little bit today, maybe if we were to actually educate these children in the way that they needed us to, that maybe we would find out they don't actually have any kind of disorder at all. And the disorder is just caused by really a disordering of the soul, if you examine it. And if you look at how they're being educated, what they're being taught, the method by which they are being taught in the public school system, and how public school systems view children, how Mm -hmm. they view children's souls. And so we just want to get into this a little bit today because it's a super interesting topic and one that, again, we're really passionate about and we want to see people think through because it's so important. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this topic and this subject because I think that we have definitely normalized this idea that all kids need some kind of special ed, Mm -hmm. but only within the public school system. They just don't think right. They don't learn right. And they are never given the option to learn differently. Mm -hmm. And that is why they have such such a difficult time learning. I know that disorders like ADHD, ADD, autism, different things like that, they are real things that people genuinely struggle with. And my heart always really goes out to these kids, especially who are in the public school system and who are honestly taught to hate themselves because Mm -hmm. of this. And they're taught to view themselves as separate and as different from everyone else, which should be a good thing. They should be able to say, yes, I'm different from everyone else. I learn differently. I process information differently. That should be something that they are able to be proud of. But instead in the public school system, it's like, oh no, you don't learn the same as the other 50 kids who are in your class. Mm -hmm. So now you need special ed and we're going to like segregate you from everyone else and you are stupid basically is what they're telling them. I know that this is especially common for boys, but there are a few boys that we babysit who are um, like really good kids and they are smart in their own right and yet they're going to public school and they're being put in special ed and they're being taught to hate reading. They're mm-hmm. being taught to hate anything that has to do with learning. And so then they just look at school as something that's completely useless and that makes them feel stupid and it's just a really draining experience for them. And I think that's really sad because the Lord has created us to be people who are constantly learning and who are constantly processing information, but he's created us all to do that in very different ways. Within the public school system, we've kind of just pushed that thought aside and it's like, no, everyone is supposed to learn the exact same way. Mm -hmm. All 50 of these kids in one single class are supposed to learn the exact same way. And if they don't, then they are, weird and they're different and that's unacceptable. Whereas I think education was originally meant to be this thing created by the Lord for kids, especially. I know that's when, you know, you learn the most, but obviously learning is an ongoing thing. But education specifically when you are younger was meant to be something that 
glorified God, Mm -hmm. period. And in the public school system, we can definitely see that that's not the case anymore because we have so much that is honestly blaspheming God directly. And you look at schools all across the country, and I know that we've talked about this before, you look at the drag shows that they're having, you Mm -hmm. look at the curriculums that they're using that are teaching atheism and are teaching kids to hate God and also to hate our country, but that's just a side note. It's become this system that is purely a system. Mm -hmm. It's not this institution of learning that encourages kids to genuinely explore the way that the Lord created them Mm -hmm. and to be proud of the way that the Lord created them. Yeah, I agree. And I think that something that I've always thought is just so interesting about the public school system is that we take on the idea that what our responsibility is, what our duty is as educators and as people who are teaching these kids is that we have to undo everything about them, Mm -hmm. really. It's this idea of almost going in and destroying the knowledge and and their souls Mm -hmm. and the knowledge that they have already and the desires that they have, we want to strip them of all of those things. And then they want to build these kids up in, if we're all being honest with ourselves, what is completely and utterly worldly. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that they need to learn the ways of the world and they need to conform to them. And all we're going to teach you is how to do that. And so much of how this is done is by standardized testing and all of those things. Obviously, we've talked about that on the show before. We have an amazing episode all about the history of standardized testing Mm -hmm. and how standardized testing really dictates what teachers teach in their classrooms because all they're trying to do is get their kids to pass these tests. And so they'll look over these questions. They'll teach the kids what they need to know for the test. And none of this has to do with the Lord or anything biblical at all. It is completely worldly. It is completely like Maddie was saying. We've sexualized everything. We have taught them that there is no God. There is no point to your life. There is nothing there. And so this is what they're learning in these tests and also what they're learning all throughout school. Mm -hmm. And I think that C.S. Lewis was brilliant, obviously, when he said, the task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. I love that quote because it's this idea of not going in and destroying everything that they already have. In a way, we do that on a spiritual level because we want to make sure that they're not selfish. We want to make sure that they're not stealing or they're not learning these different things that the world around them says is perfectly okay. We want them to maintain the innocence that the Lord has given them. Mm -hmm. We want them to build up something that he has already innately put within them. They already have this desire to chase after and to seek after what is true, good, and beautiful. So we don't want to go in and completely destroy that desire. We don't want to go in and just completely say, there is nothing good. There is nothing true. There is nothing beautiful. But what we want to do as educators and as people who are trying to lead these children or even one day thinking about how we want our children to be led, because I know we have a lot of young people listening. You may not be in the stage of life where you're having kids. We're not, but we're Mm -hmm. thinking about these things because we don't want to put our kids in the public school system and see them be taught these very worldly, evil ideologies, these ideas that truly do not 
encourage them to seek after what is true, good, and beautiful, which should ultimately lead them to the cross. It should lead them to Jesus. It should lead them to how he sacrificed for them and how they can find salvation in him. That is, I believe, what Lewis is saying here is it's not the idea of going in and totally destroying the soul of the child and then building up in a worldly way. But what we're actually doing is we're renovating. Mm -hmm. That is the task of the modern educator. We already know from a Christian perspective, they have this right desire. Does it usually triumph over their natural desires and their sinful desires when they're young? No. And so that's the point of education. We ultimately want to teach them how to replace the sinful desires they have with the virtuous. Mm -hmm. And so we want to see them have courage. We want to see them be kind. We want to see them love well. Those are all things that we want to do. And they already have the desire because God has created them. And so that's such a beautiful thing as educators that we can look at their souls and we can say, I want to help you build upon this. I want to see you renovate this almost in your soul. We want to help them renovate, not completely destroy Mm -hmm. and build up with worldly, sinful, evil things. We want to see them chase after what is holy. We want to see them become holy as Christ is holy. It's not that we're going in and totally cutting down jungles, right? As Lewis says, what we want to do is irrigate deserts. We know that there is potential in these kids. Mm -hmm. We know that they have so much potential to chase after the Lord. So they need to be shown how to do that in everyday life. They need to be taught how to do that with really good biblical principles. They can build upon those things in their everyday lives. That's what they need to know and that's what they need to be shown. Mm -hmm. The thing about that is that each kid is going to be different as far as how that best works for them, how they best learn how to be virtuous that's going to be different for every single kid. And so that's the beauty of homeschooling. That's the beauty of really looking at a few kids and saying, okay, what does he need? What does she need? How can I best help them to become virtuous people? Mm -hmm. How can I help them to become what Jesus has always intended for them to become, that's my job and that is my duty as an educator to show them. And that means that we have to be doing that in our own lives. That does not mean that we just get to come in. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of modern educators is they come in, a lot of them are not Christian as we're seeing based on the things that they're willing to teach these kids and show them. And so because they are not saved themselves, they don't understand this concept of Mm -hmm. helping a child seek what is true, good, and beautiful because they're not actively doing that in their own everyday lives. That is, I think, such an amazing thing about how the Lord has created education and also how he has formed the home and marriage and children and just how the household should work because all of these things should be pointed towards let's all seek the true good and beautiful together Mm -hmm. and let the parents model that to the children and then the children grow up in that they grow up in a loving and virtuous home Mm -hmm. that seeks after jesus and then they want to do the same not only does that impact this family but it impacts generations to come which will ultimately change society Mm-hmm. And I think what's encouraging about Lewis's quote is that even though we look out and we seem to have a desert at the moment, because you look at these kids and you see them and they're just dry and they don't want to absorb any more useless knowledge because that's what they're being fed. But we can look out and we can see this desert, but we can also be hopeful in the fact that it can be irrigated and right. it can be transformed. Mm-hmm. 
we can introduce this type of living water to this desert and we can encourage them in their knowledge and encourage them in their virtue. And that's what true education is about. It's about teaching people to live well, not just remember facts well until your next test. Because that's what the public school is focused on. It's learn these facts. Don't learn to live well. In fact, learn to live terribly through our system Mm -hmm. and remember these facts until your next test. Oh, you can't remember those facts? You have ADHD. You have autism. You're terrible. You have all these disorders. You need special ed. We're not teaching kids that as long as you know how to live well and you function in the skill set that the Lord has given you and you cultivate that and you Mm -hmm. grow that and you use the gifts that God has given you, you will be successful and you'll be doing exactly what he wants you to do. You'll be functioning in the calling that he's given you and the purpose that he has for your life. That's what true education is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about encouraging people in the things that the Lord has created them Mm -hmm. to do and has created them to cultivate over the course of their lives. And that's how you have a well-structured and well-seasoned society. You have different people functioning so well in different things. Mm -hmm. You look at these kids that are able to jump from one subject to another, are able to have all these different thought patterns and all these different things that they're thinking about all at once. And they're going to be really great at one job that I'm not going to be great at because Mm -hmm. I am not good at juggling all those different thought patterns and all of those different ideas that are just going on inside my head. But instead, we say, oh, you want to blurt out all those ideas now? You want to learn about these specific things more in depth? Not saying that they don't need to have like foundational Mm -hmm. things. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to set up anybody's curriculum here, but uh, obviously, these kids still, you still have to say, okay, you're going to sit down and you're going to read this book because Mm -hmm. you need to, and it's going to teach you how to live well. You're not going to go and read something really stupid and, you know, we're not going to go read Captain Underpants. We're going to go read Narnia or we're going to go read something that's actually good for your soul. Honestly, I think when you do that, that solves the problem of them not being able to sit still or Mm -hmm. just not being very interested in that kind of thing because honestly, even though something like Captain Underpants is apparently tailored to uh, children and should be what they want to read, it's not because it's not fulfilling. It's not feeding their soul and it's not pointing them to Christ. They want to listen to fairy tales and they want to listen to things that are going to point them to Christ and Mm -hmm. are going to fill their soul and are going to make them feel like they have purpose. They want to hear about characters that they can strive to be like, not characters that are completely and utterly pointless and stupid. So true education is about teaching people to live well and it's about inspiring virtue. Like Lily said, that is the foundation of education and that's the foundation of or what should be the foundation of society. Mm -hmm. But when you come up with all these different institutions, and I think we've even done this in the church, you come up with these institutions where people are told you are supposed to learn a certain way and you're only supposed to learn what we give you. Then you come up with this society that is no longer virtuous because they're not even being offered the virtue in the first place, that good example of virtue. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, this is obviously like a generational thing. We've got now, especially we have like millennials becoming parents and they've grown up in a public school system that is nowhere near what it was in the generation before them. Their parents were encouraged to work and to be outside the home and especially with females during that period, the females who would have raised millennials Mm -hmm. were encouraged to be outside of the home, getting jobs, working, creating income and that kind of thing and putting their kid in daycare and in school. So now you have millennials who don't know what it's like to have stable parent figures who are displaying virtue to them every day and now they're having kids and they're saying, okay, well, 
I need a job because that's what my mom did. That's what Mm -hmm. my dad did. And I'm just going to put my kid in daycare, which is what all of the money that I'm making is going to go to simply so that I can work for someone else, sell them my time, then learn to completely hate my kid and teach them how to hate me in the process. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to send them to this institution that is completely overrun with evil. And I'm going to hope that they teach them something valuable. And if they tell me that they can't sit still for very long or they're not learning this specific subject as well or as quickly as everyone else, then I'm going to take them to the pediatrician and I'm going to get them medication and I'm going to numb them so that they just can't do that anymore and Mm -hmm. they can't function in what the Lord wants them to function in. So obviously there is like a foundational education where everyone needs certain things like math and science and reading and different things like that. But then let's encourage kids to pursue things that the Lord has given them and Mm -hmm. to pursue the things that he has given them an interest in Mm -hmm. instead of just saying, you need to do this and we only have two electives for you to choose from and you're just going to, you know, go through those because everyone else is and you need mm-hmm. them to be able to graduate. And then we're going to send you to college and it's going to be even worse. Mm-hmm. And you have already adapted to this prison mindset that mm-hmm. we have set in place. And so whatever your college professors teach you is what you are going to adopt wholeheartedly as your entire worldview. And they're pr- basically just going to submit everything that we have taught you throughout all of 12 years that you've been in school. Then it's just going to be even worse when you get to college and they're just going to really just make sure that that is locked in and you will never think for yourself again. Mm -hmm. That is a major problem and that is why our society is the way that it is right now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm personally really looking forward to about homeschooling my future children and stuff is looking at each of my kids and being able to teach them those basic fundamental concepts and and things that you're talking about like math and science mm-hmm. and history and all these things but looking at them in a different way looking at my kids and adapting each of those things to how they want to learn how they think and how they mm-hmm. process information i want to make it enjoyable for them i want it to be a fun experience for them where they can't wait to learn about that because they're getting to thrive in their own kind of environment right? And their own learning environment Mm -hmm. where they are really enjoying it because one, they've gotten to pick the book, they've had options, they're getting to make decisions, they're thinking through things, they're getting to talk about it with me and getting to process that information out loud and kind of debate back and forth and think Mm -hmm. through things. Like I'm really looking forward to that because I think that that is how you help a child to become passionate about things. I think that this kind of ties into why we see so many kids who have no idea what they want to do with their lives because they haven't had the opportunity to really explore anything. It's you do this and you do it this way and you Mm -hmm. do it at this time. That's about it. And that's all that they do every day. And so they don't get to really explore the different options that are out there and make decisions for themselves while they're in school. And so then we expect them to get to their junior, senior year and decide what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. They've had zero experience. They've had zero opportunity to make their own choices and own decisions when it comes to what they're learning and what they want to learn about and to see if they're interested in something more than they would be something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so 
amazing and something that I've personally really enjoyed about being homeschooled is that we got to explore those different things out in the world and we got to look at them and think through things and experience different things. And that's why I feel like I had a really good idea of what I wanted to do because one, I was taught how to be obedient to the spirit and how to pray through these things and make decisions for myself and all these different things. But then how to become virtuous and how to chase after that and cultivate that virtue in my everyday life. And then you start doing different things and experiencing different things. And that's when I truly got to see the world and do different things with my parents in a way that showed me, okay, I'm really passionate about ministry. I'm really passionate about seeing people move from darkness to light. And I want to be able to counsel them. And I want to be able to pour into them in this way. And I want to be able to teach Bible studies and do all this Mm -hmm. different stuff. So I was able to find out what I'm passionate about and where I thrive and that's it. Mm-hmm. But kids don't have that opportunity today because they're not experiencing different things. They're locked in a building eight hours a day being told what to do, what to read, what to say, what to think every single second they're there. Mm-hmm. So how do we expect them to become virtuous? How do we expect them to chase after what is true, good, and beautiful when they have no freedom to do so? That was definitely a problem that we were seeing with a lot of our friends this past year because literally most of our Bible study group graduated from high school this past year. One of our friends literally said, they want me to figure out a career path now, but they've told me what to think my entire life. So now I'm just sitting there like begging, tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. You've always told me what to do, so tell me what to do now. But then it's like, oh, no. No, we just want you to have an atheistic mindset and we want you to hate your country and we want you to hate God. Now go and pick whatever career you want to do, but make sure that's your foundation. Right. Make sure that's what you bring to that workforce. Make sure that that's what you think for the rest of your life. You know, they're frowned upon for like not going to college immediately after high school when they're trying to figure out what they want to do or they are pressured so much into choosing a career so that it can be announced on graduation day and if you don't have one and you're like undecided or you say my greatest aspiration in life is to be a stay-at-home mom you look like a complete loser Mm -hmm. and so they pressure you into just picking something just pick something quickly (laughs) before you graduate so that we can announce it and you don't look stupid Mm -hmm. and you don't make the school look bad yeah Anyway, bring it over. But I did want to end with, I know that lots of us can look at this and say, okay, well then what in the world do we do? And we get all discouraged. Mm -hmm. I certainly am. But I wanted to bring up this story really quickly about, I was studying this in one of my college classes this week and I had to watch a couple of lectures and stuff about the second great awakening, which I've studied before, but I had never heard this specific story before. So the Second Great Awakening kind of started in two different places. One was with uh, camp meetings and like the initial camp meeting took place in Kentucky. And then that was like the model for all of the camp meetings and really is where the Second Great Awakening expanded Mm -hmm. the most. But the first place that it kind of started was at Yale, surprisingly. Not many people know this, or at least I didn't know this. And it started when a man named Timothy Dwight was appointed as president of Yale. He was an Orthodox Christian and was looking around at the school and noticing that it was not as Christian as it possibly should be or as he wanted it to be. So he gets into like the nitty gritty details of the college. And mind you, this is early 1800s. So they are much more religious than we are. Mm -hmm. And 
yet by even their standards, he felt like they were not as religious as they should be. So that you know tells us a lot about our society. But he gets into the nitty-gritty details of the college. He goes in and he's talking to students. He's talking to faculty. He's getting to the bottom of this problem, mm-hmm. which we aren't seeing very many faculty in any colleges today doing. At this time, college was kind of something that was only meant for the elites of society. And you kind of had to know the right people or be extremely smart to get into college. So there were very few college opportunities available to people. And generally only like the Ivy League colleges that we see today were around back then. So places like Harvard and Yale. So Yale, you know, one of the biggest schools in America at this time. And he's looking at it and he's saying, okay, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. He was looking at the uh, students who were graduating from the college and most of them were turning out to be like deists or atheists Mm -hmm. and stuff, which he saw as a really big problem. For those of you who don't know what deists are, I had to refresh my um, understanding of this concept when I started this history class. A deist is someone who believes that there is a god who created the universe, but they believe that it Uh, that entity and that being is no longer intimately involved in the events taking place on earth and has just kind of stepped back from his creation like he created it and now he's done so obviously that's a problematic belief system as timothy dwight is exploring the college looking at the people that are graduating and everything he's going into classrooms hearing what's being taught looking at the curriculum and he's realizing that most of their current students now are deists and atheists Mm -hmm. and then he realizes that most of the faculty are are also deists and atheists. So that's obviously going to leak into the curriculum somewhere. Even if it's a predominantly Christian curriculum in the first place, that is going to slowly decline because people have their personal beliefs and opinions that are going to infiltrate this. So what does he do? He calls for complete revival at the school. He fires most of the deists and atheist staff and replaces all these professors with Orthodox Christians. By 1802, just a couple years after he is hired as president, the person giving my lecture put it that Yale was a hotbed of revival. There was all kinds of revival breaking out on the campus. People were worshiping the Lord and were being taught things that were valuable and were being taught how to be virtuous. And so one of the things that came out of the Second Great Awakening was the expansion of colleges. That's why we have so many colleges today because they were primarily created as institutions of higher learning that would promote virtue and the worship of the divine. Mm -hmm. That is such a great mission statement for any college. Like I would 100% go there if that was the mission statement of any kind of college. But today we're looking at even our Christian colleges and we've talked about this like crazy. The colleges that we've had experiences with, Christian colleges that claim to have a biblical foundation are teaching atheism, are teaching deism, are teaching all these different things that certainly are not inspiring virtue and Mm -hmm. are most definitely not inspiring the worship and the glorification of the divine. So we really get back to the roots of higher education and learning in general. And we go back to this concept that learning is for creating virtue, teaching people how to live and glorifying the divine. Then that is how we turn our desert into something that can be irrigated. Mm -hmm. That is how we turn our country into a place where learning is prioritized. And it's something where we are turning out students who are incredibly smart and are full of potential and are functioning in the gift and skill sets that the Lord has given. Given them. Mm-hmm. Now, many of us are thinking, okay, uh, I'm not going to be the president of Yale anytime soon, so how do we do this? Well, you may not end up being the president of Yale, but what if your kid ends up 
being the president of Yale? Right. What if the students that you are teaching end up being people of incredible, great influence and they are the Timothy Dwights of the world that completely transform Yale, mm-hmm. completely transform the country in the fact that then colleges are created to honestly model some of what Yale had done. What if they're the ones that can purge the staff and say, okay, we're changing our curriculum, we're changing our faculty, mm-hmm. and we are going to make this a place that glorifies God. And we're going to make this a place where the students graduating from here know what it is to worship the divine and know what it is to glorify it and know what it is to serve it in whatever they're doing and in everything that they're learning. Mm-hmm. I wanted to finish. I know that we're going a little bit long today. I am going to read Proverbs 19 verse 8 and it says, the one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. Mm-hmm. If we could transform our public school systems and transform our students into people who cherish wisdom and who then love life because of the wisdom that they have gained, I think that we truly could see a complete transformation of our society, of our world. I think we would see revival and we would see a complete turning around of literally everything that we see happening right now. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that wisdom is the beginning of all virtue as we are taught in Proverbs. And it's something that unfortunately not a lot of students are being taught about nowadays. They're actually being taught that virtue is not a thing, truth is not a thing, and that's not something you should be pursuing. You should be pursuing being like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that is the root of the problem, I believe. I love how we can be challenged by the thought that Timothy Dwight was taught by someone, Mm -hmm. right, before he made the change at Yale. He had to be taught how to be virtuous and what to seek after and what to prioritize. And I'm not sure who that person was. I'm not sure who impacted Mm -hmm. his life or who influenced his education or how that went. But the point is that someone did. Multiple people probably did. Even if we're not the Timothy Dwights, right, who are in charge of Yale, the president, whatever, we can be the people who impact those people who Mm -hmm. go on to do that. All right. I know that this episode has gone a little bit longer than usual, but y'all know that when we start talking about education, we will not be stopped. It always goes longer. Let's wrap this episode up in prayer. So please pray with us. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day and I thank you for uh, finally giving us the opportunity to sit down and record and I thank you that I didn't get killed by a snake today. And I pray that you would just guide each and every person listening to this episode. I pray that you would help all of us to truly examine the way that we're living and examine the way that we are uh, teaching our children or allowing our children to be taught. And I pray that you would just really help us to step into this role as people who can create heroes and people who can create change in our society. And I pray that you would just help us to really step into that role and to fulfill that calling that you have given each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alrighty, guys, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to download this episode so you can listen at any time, anywhere you like, and we will talk to y'all next Monday. Bye, guys. (laughs) 